Hello and welcome to Success Story, the show that tells the very real and personal stories that merge chronic illness and sex. I'm your host, Heather DeKaiser, therapist, wife, and survivor of triple negative breast cancer. Each week on Success Story, you're going to hear from individuals and couples about how illness has affected their relationships and their sex lives. Not only do we talk about just how challenging these effects can be, but we're also going to talk about what the hell we can do about it. Listen along as stories of sexual challenge and tragedy become stories of success. Welcome all to episode five of Success Story. Endometriosis and adenomyosis, what I got versus what I'm willing to give. I had such great feedback on episode four with Aaron. If you haven't listened yet to that one, it's called Breasties and Sex. Go check it out. But there was such an amazing response to that episode. And today I have another super duper amazing woman and soul on the show, Hannah Krumrick, who I've known for some time now. Hannah's story is unlike any I've heard before, and I just knew that I had to ask her to share it. She has dealt with endometriosis and adenomyosis for over a decade, and the ups and the downs she's been through, just holy shit. But I'll let her fill you all in on that. So without further ado, I welcome Hannah to Success Story. Hannah, thank you so much for being here and being willing to share your story. Heather, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really happy to be here, and it's kind of funny to say that because six months ago, I, I honestly don't know that I could have told you that I was happy to be here, but um, it's truly an honor, and you know, I hope that by telling my story um, and sharing some of the things that I've been through, that we can shed some light um, for people on what it means to have endometriosis and adenomyosis, um, what it's like to deal with a chronic illness. Um, I know some of your listeners are uh, aware of what these chronic illnesses are um, and are dealing with them themselves. Uh, I also recognize that there's some people who have probably never heard of them. Uh, So I hope that you know, we can walk away from this episode with a better understanding um, of what it's like uh, to battle these illnesses. And also that by sharing my journey, um, some other people can be inspired and have some hope um, to to not give up and to keep fighting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I got to admit, I thought I knew quite a bit about endometriosis anyway. Um, turns out I did not. I realize now, like after hearing your story and doing some research on it and getting more informed, just kind of how ignorant I was about what people actually go through when they have these two chronic illnesses. And I know that I have talked to my clients about these two things and have still been super ignorant about it. And so I'm even more thankful that you're on success story and being willing to share your side of things and and your journey and what you've gone through. And I just think it's really important whether people have yet to be diagnosed or have gotten their diagnosis and they're in the middle of the battle or the fight, um, if they've you know been dealing with this for a long time, I just think it's super important that you're here and you're willing to share your story. So yeah. thank you. 
Of course. Um, it's crazy you say that. Like, I didn't even know what adenomyosis was until, gosh, probably about a year or a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and I've been battling endometriosis for over a decade. Um, but there's just such a, a lack of research, um, a lack mm-hmm. of awareness, even amongst the medical community, um, even with doctors. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And so um, that adds a, an additional layer to the fight um, because you're you're kind of stuck doing your own research and trying to advocate for yourself, figuring some of it out on your own. Um, and on average with endometriosis, it takes about eight to 10 years to get a diagnosis. Holy shit. Yeah. So seriously. Yeah. Um, so there's people out there suffering who unfortunately just aren't getting the care that they need. And it's yeah. because, you know, they're being told either they're fine, that there's nothing wrong, or, or they're being told that it's something else mm-hmm. and they're not getting the care that they need. Um, so something that's become really near and dear to my heart is hopefully being able to change that narrative for Mm -hmm. people going forward. Um, endometriosis affects one in 10. So it's not as uncommon as you might think. That blows me away. (sighs) Yeah. Um, it's just the lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's it's something that has no cure. There's no proven treatment. And so I think that's hard as well because, I mean, you know, what do you do? You get your diagnosis and then where do you go from there? Yeah, even if you do find out that it is endometriosis or adenomyosis, what the hell do you do about it? And how do you know it's going to work? Um, I think it might be kind of helpful if you kind of give us an overview of what the difference is. Because I I didn't even hear of adenomyosis or really know that the two were kind of related but separate. So maybe it would help if you kind of gave us an overview of like what is endometriosis, what is adenomyosis, what's the difference um, of what those two things are. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, really important. Um especially with endometriosis. Like I said, there's a lot of misinformation. Um, So endometriosis is tissue that is similar to endometrial tissue, so tissue found within your uterus that starts to grow outside of the uterus in other places um, of the body. So a lot of times endometriosis gets referred to as like a reproductive illness, Mm. Um, But the thing that people don't realize is it's oftentimes found on other organs as well. So um, there have been cases where, you know, lungs, diaphragm, um, ovaries, intestines, bowels, um, but this tissue grows and it causes uh, just a lot of hardships, um, a lot of pain. And um, the difference between that and adenomyosis Um, so endometriosis is tissue similar to endometrial tissue. Adenomyosis is the actual endometrial tissue itself growing into the wall of the uterus and it reacts, um, just like 
the uterus does every month for a woman's period where, you know, it swells, it bleeds, um, but it has nowhere to go because it's stuck inside that tissue. And so um, it causes damage to the uterus um, and it's, it's painful. Wow. And from what I understand from my reading and research and talking to people and talking to you, if I understood this correctly, is that just because you have larger growths doesn't necessarily mean you'll have more pain. Like some people who have small growths or a small number of growths might have like really big symptoms or really painful symptoms versus some people who have tons of growth whether it's endometriosis or adenomyosis, might have very few symptoms. Yeah, um, and that's one of the things that's difficult about it as well is everyone has a completely different experience. Okay. So um, to your point, you can have a ton of growth and have no pain. Um, you can also have little growth and you know have debilitating pain. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's tough for, you know, medical professionals to try to navigate as well is because every person has different symptoms. Every person presents differently. Um, The size of the growth, the extent of the disease doesn't necessarily relate to the type of pain or the type of experience you're going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that differ from patient to patient, um, and that can make it really challenging to, you know, decide on a treatment plan and figure out what you do about it. So why is it often misdiagnosed or missed, or why does it often take on average eight to 10 years to get a diagnosis of this? Uh, my honest opinion, yeah. um, women aren't taken seriously, we're dismissed, um, and I think maybe part of that is biased because of what my experience was, um, but I started presenting with symptoms when I was 16 years old, Okay. and I was having severe bloating, horrible pain. Um, and you know, my, my mom at the time, I'm 16 years old. So she's bringing me to the doctor. Um, they sent me to a GI specialist because a lot of times what you'll see is, um, endometriosis presenting, um, with GI symptoms. And so, um, a lot of patients are misdiagnosed with something like IBS, Mm -hmm. um, which is what happened in my case. And the only way to truly diagnose endometriosis is with surgery. Uh, It doesn't show up on scans. It doesn't show up on blood work. uh, There's no test that you can do to see it. Um, And so I think a lot of times, you know, you don't want to just jump right to surgery, which I completely understand. But um, I think sometimes women are dismissed as not being able to handle pain. They're dismissed as being dramatic or overreacting. And, you know, you're just having bad period cramps, like take some Tylenol, it'll get better. And the reality of it is that it's it's just so much more than that. So give us a little bit of an overview of your specific journey. Like you have both illness or both chronic conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Endometriosis and adenomyosis. How did you, so you've been presenting with symptoms at 16, 
how did you finally get the diagnosis and what what did it take to get there? Yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, I was 16 having all of these problems and, you know, went to like primary care doctor, got referred to a GI specialist, went through a full GI workup. So I had multiple colonoscopies, endoscopies, uh, the capsule endoscopies where you swallow the little pill and <sighs> camera goes through your whole body. And that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I did SIBO tests. Like I've What's had that. It's some sort of like bacterial overgrowth in your intestines. Um, so you drink this. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I've had more tests than I can even tell you, um, especially from like a GI standpoint. And mm -hmm. they all came back normal. Nothing looked wrong. No one could explain why I was in pain, why I was having these symptoms. And so, you know, I was 16. The doctors looked at my mom and they said, you know, her pain's probably not that bad. She's probably just being overdramatic. Maybe she has IBS. Try a gluten-free diet. Cut out dairy it'll be fine. She's fine. And, you know, I mean, what do you do from there? The doctors are telling you you're fine. You've had all these tests. You almost start to question a little bit if, if you're crazy yourself, like, yeah. is this all in my head? Um, so I tried gluten-free, tried dairy-free, um, and just kind of dealt with the pain for years. And when I got into my early 20s, the pain just started getting worse and worse, and it got to the point where it was really impacting my day-to-day -day life. Um, I was having a hard time just doing things that I, I had normally been doing, um, and so I started going through the whole GI workup again, um, you know, had another colonoscopy, had another endoscopy, and it was the same result everything's fine. You're fine. You know, this is just something you have to deal with. And I remember feeling so broken because, you know, I'm in my early 20s and everyone tells you this is supposed to be the best time of your life. Like you're growing up, you have independence and it was awful. I was sick and I was miserable. And I remember I had gone to my OB for just an annual checkup and she asked me, well, how are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm fine. And she goes, well, really, how are you? Wow. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, not great. Um, and I'm thankful that she asked me that um, and that she actually wanted to listen because I started telling her some of the things that were going on and I told her how, how depressed and how lost I felt. And she looked at me and she said, has anyone ever asked you if you have endometriosis? And I said, no. And she started talking to me about endometriosis more. And um, my sister actually has it as well. So I had a little bit of an understanding of, of what it was, but it had never occurred to me that that might be what I was going through too. Hmm. And we agreed uh, that day before I left her office that it was worth it to do surgery to see um, since all of my other tests had come back negative. Let's check it out. Let's see if that's what it is. And then at least maybe it could give us some answers. 
Um, and at this point I was 25. Wow. So it had been nine years since I started showing symptoms. Um, a couple months later we did diagnostic surgery and, and sure enough, it was endometriosis. So what in what did that surgery entail? Um, so I guess one of the other things that people don't know about endometriosis is that most OBGYNs aren't really equipped to treat it. Okay. Um, and I don't fault the doctor who diagnosed me in any way, um, but they found the endometriosis and what they did um, was called ablation. And so it's a surgical procedure where they essentially, they use like a, a laser and heat to um, remove what they can see of the endometriosis growth. Um, but they don't go deeper into the tissue to actually remove the root cause of it. Mm. Um, so a lot of times with ablation, it comes back really quickly. Um, and that's what happened with me. Um, but at least it was an answer. At least after nine years, I finally knew that I wasn't completely crazy. It wasn't all in your head. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't just a bad, you know, bad period symptoms. No, I wasn't being dramatic about the pain. Like there was something wrong. And when you say diagnostic surgery, did they actually open you up? Or what What, what does that mean? Yeah, so um, the nice thing is all of my surgeries at least have been done laparoscopically. Okay. So um, I have nine scars in my stomach um, from different ports um, for the laparoscopic instruments, but I've never had to be like fully opened up. So uh, it's nice. They can do a lot of it that way now. Okay. You finally have this diagnosis. I mean, the emotions, the thoughts about getting diagnosed, knowing that, uh, you're not crazy. How did you start telling people or talking about it once you knew this is endometriosis? To be honest, I didn't really. What do you mean? I think there's so much of a stigma around women's health and talking about you know, periods and talking about women's reproductive issues that I didn't really feel like it was something I was supposed to talk about. Um, I didn't really feel comfortable sharing it with a lot of people. Uh, And so many people had never heard of it or like didn't know what it was. And you get the criticism that, oh, it's just a bad period, like suck it up. Mm. And so I kept a lot of it to myself. Um, You know, my family knew, my friends, my close friends at the time, um, obviously knew what I had been dealing with, knew that I had been having surgery. Um, And so those people knew, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't something that I really shared um, with anyone else. And, you know, I think that's something hard too about an invisible illness. No one looks at you and, and you don't look sick. They can't see it. And so people question like oh is it really that bad like are you actually sick and so I internalized a lot of it um you know there was certainly a relief around getting my diagnosis um and knowing that okay well at least now we know what the problem is um but at the same time being diagnosed with an illness that you know there's no cure for um 
it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Like, well, at least I have an answer, but the answer is that I now have a lifelong battle ahead of me. Um, And that can be overwhelming. Who did you have to talk to about it? Like what your plan was going to be, what your treatments were going to be. This is how we're going to take care of it or make it as, you know, less debilitating as possible. Like myself. And I, and that was a mistake. Um, Looking back on it, I wish that I had been more willing to be honest about it. Um, But it just, it felt awkward. It felt like it was something I wasn't supposed to talk about. And so I made a lot of those decisions on my own. Um, You know, I had a couple of close friends who I could talk to and, you know, bounce ideas off of. But a lot of it was just something that I I came to terms with on my own and I did what I thought was best for for me. That's got to be lonely though. Yeah, it was. Um dealing with this, you know, it's been 13 years now. Um and really until recently I felt super isolated. Um I felt like there were things I wasn't supposed to talk about, wasn't supposed to share. And, you know, it wasn't until I started talking about it and really opening up with people that I felt like I could trust um, that I started to get some peace and started to get some closure. But there was a long time where I felt completely alone. What did you, what do you remember doing immediately after getting your diagnosis? For some people, that's a really pivotal point for them. And I'm curious about that for you. I remember sitting at home, um, you know, getting home from the hospital and, and sitting there and my mom was there with me. And I remember looking at her and I could just see how heartbroken she was um, because now both of her daughters had been diagnosed with this this illness. And Is it genetic? It's not. Okay. Um, There's some research that suggests that if like a mother or a sister has it, that it may be more likely um, for someone to to have it, but there's no specific genetic link, at least at this point in time. Um, But I just remember looking at her and the pain for her as a mother. and, you know, after that surgery, I didn't know the extent of what I was going to go through. Um, so I think for me, really in that moment, it was a relief. Like it was, okay, we figured it out. I've had the surgery. Like this is going to get better now. Um, so there was a lot of hope initially uh, that quickly faded away. Um, but I would say that first moment was really just a, a big sigh of relief for every doctor who wouldn't run more tests for every doctor who told me that I wasn't sick and I was making it up um you know all the times over the years that I was just told I was crazy um it was that hey guess what I'm not crazy like and I was right to keep pushing Mm -hmm. 
a minute ago you said that the hope quickly faded away. What did you mean by that? So my first surgery was in September. Uh, and by June of the following year, I was already having my second surgery. Wow. Um, like I mentioned earlier, ablation doesn't really solve the problem um, because it doesn't go deep enough um, to try and remove like the root of the tissue growth with endometriosis. And so um, I was lucky that there is a doctor here locally. Um, another thing that a lot of people don't realize is there's only about 200 specialists for endometriosis worldwide. So finding a doctor who's actually skilled in treating it is a lot more difficult than people think. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Luckily, I found someone here in Colorado um, who did have experience with that. And so I was able to go to him and have excision surgery. Um, But yeah, it was only about nine months after my first surgery that I was already back there. And by the time I had recovered from that surgery and gotten through, you know, the post-op pain and just healing, I was already back in pain. And so, unfortunately for me, having endometriosis and adenomyosis, um, which we didn't realize at the time, um, but the excision surgery just wasn't enough. What is excision surgery? Um, So that's where they go in laparoscopically and, um, you know, a doctor has to be trained in excision, um, but they're able to go deeper into the tissue to try and remove all of the endometriosis as opposed to the ablation that just gets the surface level, like what you can see. So it was meant to get more to the root. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How did they miss the adenomyosis? So the thing with adenomyosis is unless you're like closely examining the uterus, it can be hard to see. Um, And a lot of times you do need a pathology report, um, which you can't do unless you have a hysterectomy. Okay. And so, you know, obviously, especially when it's someone in their early 20s, you don't want to recommend a hysterectomy on a hunch um, because a hysterectomy will not cure endometriosis. Okay. Um, so, you know, doctors are really cautious of that, which I think is good. Um, but it was just something that we we overlooked. And honestly, I didn't even know it existed. So how many women who have endometriosis also have adenomyosis? I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I don't know if there's a correlation between the two. Okay. Um, Or I can imagine a lot of people maybe get misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed or they think, oh, we have a diagnosis of endometriosis. We don't even need to look any further. Yeah. And I mean, that's what happened for me. I do know um, a couple of other uh, girls who I've connected with through social media recently who have both. Okay. Um, So I know that that does happen, but it's also very possible to just have one or the other. Gotcha. So that was your treatment up through excision. I know that's not where your surgeries and complications and obviously things ended. So what has treatment been like? how long, what's it consisted of, and like where are you now kind of in that whole process? So after my second excision surgery, um, when my pain came back so quickly, 
the specialist that I was seeing recommended um, doing treatment using Lupron, um, which is a medication. Uh, it's a medication that was originally developed to treat prostate cancer. Seriously? Yeah. Um, but what they do, it's a it's an injection. So they'll give you this shot and it essentially is medically induced menopause. So it helps to kind of mask the symptoms of endometriosis, to mask the pain. Because, so it's like a Band-Aid? Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Pretty much all treatments for endo are a Band-Aid. Okay. There's nothing that cures it. So so there will be things that mask the pain and maybe make it manageable. Um, and for some people, that's enough and that's great. Um, unfortunately for me... Uh, some of the side effects that Lupron has are things like depression, things like anxiety. Uh, obviously, you're in menopause, so you're having hot flashes and night sweats, and you know that's fun to deal with at 26. Yep. Um, but as someone who had also struggled with depression and anxiety uh, for most of their life before all of this started, um, the side effects on that side of things were just too great for me. Okay. Um, so I was on Lupron for a while and we had to stop treatment, um, because the depression got too bad. Um, I started having really bad suicidal thoughts and, you know, it, it wasn't worth it. Um, what was the point of my pain being less if I was suicidal anyway? Um, so we stopped treatment with Lupron and I went on continuous birth control. Um, so again, just trying to suppress my cycle, hopefully not have my body ovulate, not have some of the pain that was associated with that. Um, so you were on symptom management. Exactly. So to, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and that helped. Um, I mean, I, I think not having a period, not going through that cycle certainly made a difference. Um, but things just kept progressing and getting worse and worse. Uh, I mean, it got to the point where I could barely sit in the car just to like drive myself to and from work because the pain of sitting down, um, and like sitting upright was just too much. Uh, there were days that I couldn't keep food down. Um, Days where I'd sit at my desk at work and thank God I was wearing a long blouse or sweater because I'd have to have my pants unbuttoned because I was bloated so bad and the pain was so unbearable that, like, I just wanted to curl up and yeah. cry. Um, And so that was what ultimately led me to doing more research. Um, and I found the Center for Endometriosis Care. Uh, which is a world-renowned specialty clinic that's located in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and the doctor there, Dr. Cinervo, um, they do free case review for patients. So wow. if you compile all of your medical records, you know, past surgical imaging, things like that, um, you send them in your, your full workup, which takes some time to put together, but ultimately worth it. Um, I was lucky enough to get accepted by them as a patient and had, you know, some long and difficult conversations with my surgeon there. But ultimately, we decided that doing a hysterectomy was what made the most sense. Um, I had had excision surgery. 
it hadn't helped. You know, I'd, I'd gone through these treatments and my pain was getting worse. My day-to-day life was being impacted. And so we scheduled a hysterectomy and excision surgery for this past April. Wow. It was not something that I expected to do um, at the age of 28. Uh, But I think something that people don't realize is, you know, it comes down to your quality of life and... I always wanted to be a mom. I always thought I wanted to have kids of my own. But what kind of mother was I going to be living in chronic pain like that? And I wasn't going to be the kind of mother that I wanted to be. And so it, it got to the point where I knew that was my only hope uh, of feeling better. And I knew that if I ever wanted to be a mom and be a good mom, I needed to put my health first. And I needed to to take care of myself. How long did it take you to hear this is an option, do the hysterectomy, and to make the decision knowing what um, what that meant for your life? I think in a way I had kind of already accepted mm-hmm. that that was where we were headed. Yeah. Um, so it was, was something that was actually easier to agree to up front um now coping with the backside of it coping with it really being real uh has been a little a little more complicated but for sure at least initially I trusted this doctor I had done a lot of research um I knew that it wasn't something he would recommend lightly okay and so I knew that if he felt that was the route that we needed to take, it was probably what had to be done. Um, and we had agreed before my surgery as well that, you know, if they got in there and for whatever reason didn't feel that it was necessary, that we were not going to do it. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of scary going into surgery, not knowing what was going to happen um, and waking up. I remember uh, my my best friend went down there with me and thank God for her. But I remember looking at her after surgery and being like, did it happen? And she just looked at me and she nodded and that was hard. Um, I knew it was coming, but it was done. It was final. Um, And that was tough. But I also knew it was the only hope I had. Uh, of getting my life back. Yeah. So that means you had to go from Denver to Atlanta for a major surgery and then be there for a couple of, like, I'm assuming you had to, like, be there for a little bit before you could come back. And that was during COVID. Yeah. Um, So they kept me in the hospital for at least, I think it was like, just over 24 hours. Okay. Um, just to make sure that I was recovering well. Um, and then I had to stay in Atlanta for 72 hours after my discharge um, before I was allowed to fly back. And let me tell you, flying back in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> 72 hours after losing a bunch of organs, uh, 
it was not fun. Um, oh, gosh. That was, that was almost worse than the surgery. Really? <laughs> Trying to get through the airport in a wheelchair with a mask on and, you know, flying three and a half hours home. Uh, that was one of the worst experiences of my life. But I also know that I got care from some of the best doctors in the world. Um, and as those of you who know me know, I went back and did it a second time. Um, so I'd do it a million times over if I had to do it again. But okay. it was challenging. It was hard. So that feels like a really powerful statement right there. If I had to do it again, I'd do it a million times over. What allows you to make that statement so confidently, knowing everything you've been through? And I know we haven't even gotten through all of it yet, <laughs> obviously, but... Um. um, I mean, I look at where my life was this time last year, um, even just at the beginning of this year, and things are really dark. Um, there wasn't a lot of hope in my life, and you know, not many people know that or even realized it, but I was at a point where I didn't know how much longer I could keep going through every day in the kind of pain that I was in. Um, and it felt like there was no end to it. I had tried the treatments that were out there. I had, you know, done everything I was supposed to do. I exercised, I run marathons. (laughs) Um, I ate well, I followed the diets, like, you know, I did the hormone therapy and none of it helped. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that having a hysterectomy is right for everyone. Um, but I knew for me it was the last chance I had to get my hope back. And I sit here today. I'm far from pain-free yet. Um, that's a different story. Um, but I have a lot more hope in my life. Mm-hmm. And... I feel confident in saying that I advocated for myself, I fought for myself, and I'm hopeful that this will be the end of this journey, but I also am confident that if it's not, I know I can get through whatever comes next. I love that. I love that for you. So why did you have to go back and do it again? Why did you have to go back? So, um, after my first surgery, six weeks post-op, um, I started bleeding, uh, started having horrible pain. And as a woman, when you don't have a uterus and you start bleeding, it's, uh, slightly concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, one night the pain got so bad, I could barely stand up. And being the stubborn person that I am um, and not wanting to ask for help, I drove myself to the ER. That's not you. (laughs) I would never. (laughs) Um, Drove myself to the ER, um, had a CT scan and ultrasound and some blood work done, and we found out that I had a bowel infection. Um, And I was actually on the verge of sepsis with how badly the infection had progressed. Um was probably there from post-op, but we didn't realize it because I was, I was healing. I was in pain. Um, yeah. What's normal pain versus what's not normal pain. Exactly. And when you've lived in pain almost your entire life, you're 
pain tolerance is a little bit different and yeah. you also feel like you shouldn't complain so you just suck it up and keep going forward. That's probably a whole nother podcast episode, but probably. <laughs> um but so they put me on antibiotics. Um and that was that was a dark time for sure. Um I remember I couldn't even stand up. And again, of course, didn't want to ask for help. I already felt like a burden on everyone. I just had surgery. I've been sick for years. <laughs> I remember crawling from my bed out to the kitchen just to get water, get my meds, crawling to get myself to the bathroom. And I remember just crying and feeling like I made a mistake. And, you know, why did I do this? What what did I do? Um... The infection cleared up, but I kept bleeding. I kept having pain, and I went to my my OB here who, you know, didn't do my surgery, and I'll be honest, because of that, I kind of feel like they didn't want to deal with me. Um, they kept telling me everything was fine. Everything's normal. It looks fine. Everything's healing fine. I just had to deal with it. And I finally got up the courage to reach out to my surgeon. And I said, you know, this is what I've been going through. I got this infection. I'm still bleeding. I'm still having pain. And he said, I don't want to tell you this, but we need to do another surgery. And I started crying. And I said, are you sure? And he was like, I've seen this in about one in every 200 hysterectomies Jesus. that I perform. Yeah. But yes, I think we need to go back in and do a complete revision of your hysterectomy. So we get a date on the calendar. I book my flight, book hotel, and I go back to Georgia. That wasn't too long ago. Uh, it'll be six weeks this coming Thursday. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. In some ways, it feels like it was yesterday and another feels like a completely different lifetime. Um, but they, they got in there and they found that when I got the infection and my bowels had swelled up, it got connected to the vaginal incision from where my hysterectomy was. And because that wasn't healed yet, all this scar tissue formed. And mm. so my bladder, my bowels, my intestines, and my vaginal incision were all connected to each other with these adhesions and so that was why I was having all the pain that was why I was bleeding um and so they were able to remove that scar tissue um they had to reopen the vaginal incision um, and do a complete revision of that um but the good news was you know since he was in there he looked for any signs of endometriosis any regrowth and my second surgery was six months to the day uh, from my hysterectomy, and there was no sign of endometriosis. So um, I'm not a huge believer that everything has to have a silver lining, but that was definitely a silver lining in this case. So, you know, six weeks post-op, um, I'm still struggling. Um, I'm definitely still sore, um, nowhere near where I want to be, but 
I'm hopeful that we've finally got this all taken care of. I know you're not running just yet. Not yet. A couple more weeks. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be happening soon. Yeah. Well, okay, so 13 years this bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit, but like, you know, what were the the highs and the lows or what have been the highs and the lows of of this journey for you so far i think the highs are being able to still run um i recognize that i was lucky um i know people who can't even work um because of how much this illness has affected their lives um I'm a competitive marathon runner. I still race, obviously not this last year, but, um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to get back to that in the future. And running is the one thing that always kind of gave me my sanity back when I was going through all of this. And so I think the highs for me would be, you know, the marathons that I've gotten to run. Um, there've been a couple races that I've won these past couple years and, just remembering that even though I'm sick, it doesn't have to define every aspect of my life. Um, I can push through and I can continue to have success. I can can continue to do things that I love. The lows, um, I mean, everything that it took from me. I spent 13 years in countless doctors offices having procedure after procedure going on all these different medications there have been periods like this year where I physically could not run um there's just been a lot that being sick has taken away from me um and so that's definitely a low um there have also been a a lot of people that I've lost in the process um especially this last year you know, people don't understand it. And for whatever reason, they don't feel like they can ask questions to understand it. And so they either just make assumptions or or they're not there. And, you know, especially having a hysterectomy at a time in my life where a lot of my friends are actively trying to have kids. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like people didn't know what to say. Um, and I guess this is kind of a high and a low because I lost a lot of people. Um, there were a lot of people that I had to realize either couldn't or were choosing to not be there for me. And so I had to let them go. Mm -hmm. But I also see that as a gift because I look at the people that I have in my life today and I know that there are people who genuinely care about me and would do anything for me. And so even though my circle might be a lot smaller, it's filled with some pretty fucking awesome people. That inner circle, man. Yeah. Well, those are really great. Well, how, so how has it affected your relationships, like with yourself, um, with others? Yeah. um, I mean, like I mentioned, it's hard because unless you've lived through it, you don't really understand it. Yeah. Um, And I mean, even when people have the best intentions, you just don't get it unless you've lived it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so that makes it hard. And, you know, being sick, it's, uh, it's difficult to make plans because you might be feeling great one day and you might be feeling completely awful the next. Uh, and so you seem kind of flaky or you just don't want to make plans and then people think you don't like them or, or don't want to hang out. And so I think that causes strain on relationships for sure. Yeah. Um, Especially friendships or when you're trying to make new friends or when people, you know, ask you to do something and maybe you've had to cancel a few times in a row. I mean, did you ever find that like people just stopped asking then? Yeah, definitely. And you know, you try to explain, but everyone makes excuses when they cancel plans. And yeah. so it's like, well, are you actually sick? And and that's the thing, too, with it being an invisible illness. Like, I don't look sick. I can't show anyone how I'm sick. And so, oh, hey, I'm not feeling well. You know, I'm canceling for the, the fifth time. Well, are you really sick? Mm. Like, so that that definitely made it hard um with friendships um I try to always be there for my friends the best I can but being there in person um you know and going out and doing stuff I'm not always the most reliable and so that was that was really hard um I think with myself there's a lot of resentment um, towards my body that I carried around for years. Wow. Uh, I looked at this and it was like, well, why is my body failing me? Why is this happening to me? You know, what did I do wrong? Why can't my body just be healthy? Why can't I be normal? Um, and, you know, I, I've had a lot of um, body image issues that I've, I've carried with me for the years. And I think some of that comes from being a runner and just the idea that, like, as a a long-distance runner, you're supposed to be super skinny. And um, I gained a lot of weight when I went through hormone treatments. For sure. Um, Having all the scars that I have, um, it's it's tough. You look at yourself and and you don't feel so great. Um, You think about who you were before you were sick or who you could be if you weren't sick. And yeah, for, for a really long time, I hated my body. I hated who I was. And, you know, it's something that I still struggle with every day, but um, I started going back to therapy this year after my hysterectomy, and one of the things that I've learned through therapy um, is to appreciate my body for all of the things that it allows me to do, and recognizing that my body did what it had to do to survive. And maybe that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I don't understand why I had to go through all of this. Yeah. Um, But my body did what it had to do. And I need to love it and respect it for that. Uh, I think it's going to take a long time for me to completely get to a point where I feel that way every day and all the time. Um, But it's definitely been helpful to to try and have some appreciation for everything that my body has been able to overcome 
and I know you've kind of touched on this in your last, you know, few answers to the questions. Um, is there anything else that you were able to learn about yourself or what chronic illness has taken from you or what it might have given you that you haven't spoken about already? I, I mean, mean, you, you kind of answered those things already, but it's given me a lot. Um, I've kind of realized that in today's world, there's a bit of this like toxic positivity floating around where, well, other people have it worse or it could be worse or you're supposed to look at the glass half full. And so when you're feeling depressed and you're going through a hard time, like then you feel guilt on top of it because, oh, well, you know, it could be this and that would be way worse or this could be happening and that would be awful. And so you start to minimize your own experiences and tell yourself that, oh, well, it's not that bad because it could be worse. And one of the things that I've learned is, you know, it doesn't matter what anyone else's experiences are. It doesn't matter what anyone else is going through or if that's harder or worse or what have you my experiences and my journey are valid the pain that i've felt is valid i'm allowed to mourn the child that i will never get to have yes i'm allowed to grieve the things that my illness took from me regardless of the things i'm still able to do um and i think recognizing that and giving my grief and my pain the space that it deserved um has allowed me to finally start healing for the first time um i think i carried that grief around with me for 13 years and stuffed it into a box and shoved it in the back of the attic as far as i could and tried to ignore it and i'm finally unpacking it and i'm finally letting it be what it deserves to be. Um, and that's made a huge difference in healing. How were you finally able to give your grief and like the mental side of things, the space that they needed? Therapy. Um, after my first surgery and after the infection, well, excuse me, after my hysterectomy, my first surgery this year, and the infection, um, thankfully, my best friend recognized how dark things were getting. And I knew I needed therapy. I knew I needed help. Um, I never told her this, but I was contemplating suicide almost daily. And, you know, she kept giving me those gentle nudges of we've talked about therapy like maybe you should consider it and I finally got to the point where it was like okay I need this Mm -hmm. and I think I went into therapy as well hey if I do this at least I can say I tried and then when I go no one can say that I didn't try Um, I don't think I expected therapy to help. I think I kind of looked at it as, 
a justification for ending my own life. Wow. Thankfully, it, it turned out not to be that way. Yeah. Um, so I can be here today talking with everyone. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think it took going to therapy and, and talking about some of these things that I'd never talked about before to realize that um, and having someone validate my experience and give me the permission to let it feel big and let it feel heavy that's what it took well and you've been to therapy before if I remember correctly Mm -hmm. so do you think it was just doing therapy at this point in your life or what was different about therapy this time around for you I've never gone to therapy when I was at that low of a point um My parents got divorced when I was young and I struggled with it. And so I got put into therapy. Um, And like I've mentioned, you know, I struggled with depression and anxiety throughout my life. And so I've gone to therapy a couple of times, but I've never really felt like I had a good connection um, with the person that I was seeing. Um, And I don't think I've ever gone when I've been in my darkest moments. Um, And... I think for me, I don't know, this might sound cheesy, but like I think the universe knew that I needed to find someone that I connected with Um, because it was that, it was make or break. Um, I was ready to be done and the universe knew that I needed to find someone who could help me really work through all of this if there was any chance that I was going to keep going in this world. And you've kept going. Kept going. And I'm genuinely thankful for that. And I think that's the first time in my life I can ever say that. That's a really big deal. I think a lot of people, there's still a stigma against therapy and counseling and getting help and talking about your problems and the whole suck it up mentality. And, you know, I hear that from a lot of people and... I think you speaking to that point and saying, like, it is worth it to find the right fit. It is worth it to still go. I mean, it sounds like you kind of went with almost like a plan, like, I'm going to do this, but this is, you know, like my last ditch effort and I'm kind of ready if I go to therapy and it doesn't work this time around. Um, And it sounds like it's, it's working for you this time around, though. It is. Um, And I mean, I'll be honest, um, even after I started going to therapy, um, especially after I got the infection, I almost went into sepsis and, you know, I felt like, wow, I just made a mistake. Like, I gave up my chance to ever have kids. I'm sicker than ever. Like, what in the world did I do? Um, I did try to kill myself. And for whatever reason, it didn't work. Um, But now I'm at a point where I can talk about it. And I'm at a point where I can say that, you know what, it's okay if there's times where you don't have hope. It's okay if there's times where there's not a bright side. 
and you just need to sit in the darkness, you get to do that. You don't get to stay there forever. And I mean, that's been crucial for me is learning to honor those moments where everything feels lost and everything feels dark. Um, giving them that space <laughs> to be what they are as much as I hate them. Yeah. Um, but then moving on from them because it's not every day and there is hope. But it's also okay to not always feel that way. Yeah. And that's what therapy's taught me. In talking about, like, continuing to talk about relationships, I know that people are probably really wondering how endometriosis and adenomyosis affects things like sex and intimacy. And I know that that's a really vulnerable area of life to talk about. And especially for women, especially for women who are dealing with chronic illness. Is there anything you can say about how that area of your life has been affected by all of this? Wouldn't it be a success story if we didn't talk about that, would it? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, it's been really tough. Um. And it's extremely hard to talk about. But, I mean, when you have chronic pelvic pain, the last thing you want is to have sex. <laughs> like, please don't come near me with a 10-foot pole. Like, I am not interested. Um, but it it's expected in relationships. And, you know, especially when you're starting off in a relationship by the way, I'm chronically ill and this is a lifelong battle for me. Like, Which date do you bring that up on? <laughs> well, right. Or like, hey, I can't have kids. Like, no, we just met. But is that a deal breaker for you? <laughs> yeah. When the hell do you bring that up? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> still figuring that one out. Yeah. That, to be determined. I'll report back to you when I figure out how you tactfully explain that. Um, but I mean... Sex has always been painful for me. Um, and not just like, oh, this isn't great. Like, excruciatingly painful. Like, I kind of want to throw up afterwards. Well, that's another symptom of endometriosis, right? Yeah. Is painful sex. Exactly. And chronic pelvic pain. Yeah. Um, And so... You know, that it definitely takes a toll on relationships because you take in all the body image issues and feeling bloated and feeling sick and hurting. And I mean, who wants to have sex when they don't feel well? Um, and then the pain, even when you do feel well and you're in the mood, then you do it and it hurts. Um, it's really hard. Um and I mean, to be honest, over the years, I've kind of just, I don't know, you shut up and you deal with it and you make the best of it. Uh, sex for me kind of became about making sure that whoever my partner was, um, they were enjoying it and they were happy. Um, but that was at the price of my own comfort and my own health. Um, 
So, I mean, it's, it's really difficult to navigate. And, you know, I think one of the things that I wish I had found sooner um, in my journey, um, I was referred to a pelvic floor physical therapist okay. after my hysterectomy. And um, it's a little awkward, I won't lie. Um, but they've also taught me a lot of methods for like stretches and deep breathing, um, and things to do to help with chronic pelvic pain, uh, and how to kind of release some of those muscles and get them to relax and, um, and does it, did it work? I mean, I haven't been able to have sex (laughs) with all my surgeries, so, um, who knows? Uh, I'm hopeful that it will help. It definitely helps day to day with my pain. Okay. Um, so I, I am expecting that it will help in that aspect of my life too. And hopeful. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I also had doctors tell me that if I had a hysterectomy, that I wouldn't be desirable to men and that ouch yeah fuck (laughs) fuck them i mean i remember sitting there and like having to just choke back the tears because she just went on and on about how i really shouldn't even consider it because no one would ever want to date me no one would ever want to marry me if i couldn't have kids and I don't know, that plays into intimacy too, because when you don't feel like you're possibly desirable, you don't see how anyone else could see you as desirable. And I mean, why would, why would you want to have sex with someone who's not desirable? Especially when you have someone looking at you, explaining everything that you're not going to be able to offer somebody, Mm -hmm. assuming that's what they're going to want from you when they have a relationship with you. Yeah. So how have partners handled the challenges over the years of like you dealing with endometriosis and the pain issues and those types of things yeah um it was something that I didn't really share with a lot of partners um I think the the first person who really knew about it was a guy that I started dating. Um, We were together for about three years and we lived together. And, you know, so he saw the day to day. Um, He saw how much I would struggle. Um, He saw how sick I would get. And I think in a way that helped um, because he saw it firsthand. Mm -hmm. Um, He knew that I was having a really hard time. Um, And so that made it easier Um, Just having that long-term relationship and having the experience, um, you know, being more understanding. And I finally got to a point, you know, where I I just started speaking up about it after that. And, you know, I I was up front with people of, hey, look, like, this is something that's not enjoyable for me. Um... I have some chronic illnesses. I I have some problems. Like, I just want you to be aware of that, like, going into it. And, you know, I mean, most people, at least they say they're understanding um, or that they say that they care. I don't know how much truth there is behind that. I know that might sound mean, um, and I don't mean to talk down on anyone, but 
it's hard for people to understand unless they've spent a significant amount of time around you and really witnessed it. So, I mean, for the most part, people have been kind. I'll say that. But I think it's just, it's something that takes time. Yeah. Um, and that's that's hard. Mm-hmm. How has your sexuality or like how you see yourself sexually been affected at different parts of your journey like whether it was at you know when you were really young you've been dealing with this since you were a teenager going to appointments dealing with surgeries now um, when you think about dating in the future now that hopefully your surgeries are behind you we're opening up a whole nother can of worms here um so I actually got married when I was 19, um, and there were some sexual abuse issues, um, in that relationship, and, uh, obviously we ended up getting divorced, um, and so I think the combination of that and being sick, uh, has been a lot, um, you know, I don't look at myself as desirable, Um, I don't really see why anyone would want to be with me. And, you know, I think as women, we're told that our whole purpose is to get married and have kids and be a mom. Mm. And when you have a failed marriage and then you have health issues that make it where you can't have kids, it's like, well, how do I have to offer anyone? Um... And so I think in that sense, like, that's been hard. And with my own sexuality, like, I'm a very submissive partner now because I don't feel like there's anything I'm going to get out of it. Like, it's probably not going to be enjoyable for me. So you do you. Like, what makes you happy? Like, how can I make sure that you're taken care of? Um... And I, I look at sex more through that lens than, like, true intimacy and, like, connecting with someone and building a bond. Yeah. Do you feel like that's still your view and how you look at yourself now? I mean, I know your marriage was about a decade ago and you mentioned being in another in long-term intimate relationship since then and... Um, with somebody else and um, two recent major surgeries. Do you think that's how you still see yourself now? And do you think there's room to see yourself differently or still working on that part, work in progress? Like what? Uh, I think it's definitely a work in progress. Okay. Um, I think after seeing things that way for so long, um, I'm kind of stuck in that. I think there's certainly room for that to change. Um, I think once I'm healthy and, you know, with the right person, like, there's absolutely an opportunity that that could be different. But there's also a lot of uncertainty for me. And there's that fear of like, well, what if it's not? Um, You know, I there's scar tissue from all of my surgery and and adhesions that there's just nothing that they can do about. And that can cause lifelong pain. It can cause lifelong issues. And so there's a fear that 
even though, you know, the worst of my chronic illness fight might be over, that there's going to be lasting problems for the rest of my life. And um, that's probably more in my head than anything, but it's like, I don't know how that's going to impact relationships down the road. And, and that's scary. So for people listening who are dealing with some of the symptoms of endometriosis or going through chronic pain or pelvic pain or sexual pain, was there anything that you tried that you found worked or didn't work? Like pain relievers or ice packs or are there, you know, like anything your doctors recommended or do your doctors even recommend anything? Because it sounds like they're kind of dicks about a lot of stuff. (laughs) I mean, they weren't the greatest. And my biggest piece of advice to people would be find a doctor that you trust. Um, I still to this day have a heating pad with me anytime I possibly can. Um, That thing is my best friend. Um, After 13 years of popping ibuprofen like it's candy, uh, it doesn't do a whole lot anymore. Um, I would say one thing that I want people to realize is that everyone's journey with these illnesses is different. Um, You know, some people go through treatment and they have great luck and it helps them and they can manage things day to day. Um, you know, other people have situations worse than mine, um, where, you know, even surgeries and, and all of that don't help. Um, so I think the most important thing is lean on other people for help, but also understand that this is your own journey. Um, I've been lucky. I've connected with some amazing people on social media, um, who have been, great resources, super supportive, um, just such kind and loving people, but their journeys have also been drastically different than mine. Um, everyone has to make the choices that they think are best for them. Um, so I would say, you know, do your research, look at what's out there, talk to other people, but also understand that just because it worked for them or was right for them, It doesn't mean it's right for you, and that's okay. Um, Do what you think is best. And trust your gut. Um, A lot of battling a chronic illness is, you know, hearing your options and making the best decision that you can for yourself. And maybe it turns out well, maybe it doesn't. But at the end of the day, you have to trust that you know your body better than anyone. Um, Run with that. It is something I wish doctors talked about more with anybody dealing with a chronic illness or pain or anything that they're going through is sex and sexuality, you know, and I think finding a good sex therapist can help someone who's familiar with like techniques and tips and tricks. And I know you and I have talked about a Netflix show that we've watched recently that we found very interesting and um for people who haven't or don't know what we're talking about it's called (laughs) sex love and goop the gwyneth paltrow one on netflix um there's a lot of controversy over her company in general um but 
I think that that Netflix series was super interesting just to hear the different professionals' opinions and techniques and interventions on how they handle trauma and pain and how we view ourselves sexually. Mm-hmm. I know that's something that people say they've never even been asked yeah. is when I say, like, how do you define yourself sexually? They're like, say what now? <laughs> um, I'm... Yeah, please don't ever ask me that question. <laughs> like, how would I even answer it? I don't even know. I'm a sex therapist. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast episode. Um, but I think even just starting the conversations and being able to talk about it um, is super important. Mm-hmm. And I really want to thank you for being willing to talk about it and to talk about these really vulnerable things that you've gone through. I know there are some of these things that you've mentioned today that you have literally never talked about before the last hour and some minutes. Um, The one thing that I did wanna ask you about kind of before we wrap up, Hannah, is that you and I have had many conversations about what it means to suffer in silence. Um, Illnesses we can see versus cannot see. Um, having a right to be sick, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything else that you want to add or that you wish people knew about endometriosis, adenomyosis, chronic pain, chronic illness, caregivers for people who are dealing with these issues, the general population, patients themselves, anything else that you can offer listeners who may not have gotten a diagnosis yet who uh, may just want to know more information or anything like that yeah um I would say make sure you find the strength to advocate for yourself Um, and I know it's easier said than done especially when you have you know doctors who went to medical school and spend their whole lives doing this telling you otherwise um if you don't get a good feeling from a doctor or you don't feel like you're getting the answers or the care that you need change doctors there is no shame in that um i don't care how many second third fourth opinions you go get if you feel that you need it do it Uh, stand up for yourself, ask for the tests, ask for the care that you deserve. Um, You know, you talk about sex and all that. Um, I had so many doctors ask me if intercourse was painful. I never had one ask how that was impacting me or offer any sort of advice or help to change it. Um, It also took nine years of doctors telling me that I was fine for one doctor to thankfully, you know, hear me and and figure out what was actually going on. Um, I would also, you know, urge people to remember that you're not alone. Um, It feels really isolating, but there are other people who understand it. Um, It can be a little difficult to find them. Um, And like I said, you know, social media can be a great way to connect you with people. Um, There can also be a lot of misinformation. There can also be a lot of people who have had very different experiences with than you have. Um, But I know that that's something that's helped me a lot um, is just finding people who can 
in some way relate to what I've been through and what I'm continuing to go through. Um, I would also stress taking care of your mental health. Uh, It's something that I neglected for years. You get so caught up in all the doctor's appointments and worrying about your physical health that your mental health kind of gets put on the back burner and you forget about it. Try not to um, because being sick does take a toll and your mental health can impact your recovery. Um, And so I think it's really important to make sure that you're taking care of that. Um, I think the, the biggest thing is just know that being sick doesn't make you unlovable. I thought that for a really long time. And it doesn't make you unfuckable. <laughs> feel like I gotta add that. I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, being sick doesn't make you unlovable. You are still just as worthy despite everything else. And no matter how dark it gets, you are worth it to keep fighting. I do want to ask you this, and it's not something that you knew I was going to ask or whatever. Do you still have thoughts of ending it all or not wanting to deal with pain or have thoughts of suicide anymore if I can ask that I can honestly say that I don't um and that might be one of the craziest statements I've ever made in my life um because I did not thought that whoa I can't speak either I did not think that day would come um I thought it was just something that I would have to fight and be stronger than um But I can honestly say that even though I'm still in pain today, um, I am recovering from multiple major surgeries in in the span of a couple months. And I look at my life and I know that the good outweighs the bad and that my life is worth living. So, so no, I don't feel that anymore. Wow. That's a really big deal. Yeah. And you're saying it with a smile on your face. They can't see it, but I can see it. So, yeah, it's really cool to see you be smiling after everything you've been through. It's cool to be able to smile and know that for once I'm not faking it. Damn, that hits me in all the feels. How long have you had to fake it? I don't know, 12 and a half years? (laughs) Probably a little bit more than that. Since the beginning, Heather, haven't you been listening? I mean, until the last, like, month, maybe. (laughs) Maybe a little longer than that, but pretty close. Well, thank you again so much, Hannah. There you have it, everyone. Hannah Krumrick, beloved friend, amazing woman, amazing soul. She just bared all, said things that she's never said before, Um, and said it all for you because she felt like it was that and feels like it is that important to inform, educate, and tell people what it's like to go down and have to battle for yourself and have to battle your own body and doctors and tests and surgeries and what it's like to have to rebuild yourself mentally and physically 
relationally, all of that. So I do just want to thank you again for doing this with me on episode five. And thank you all so much for listening um, to this episode, endometriosis and adenomyosis, what I got versus what I'm willing to give now. Um, I am going to put Hannah's contact information, like her Instagram handle and her email address in the comments and the notes section of this episode. That way, if any of you want to reach out to Hannah personally or have any questions, I know that she's nodding, so I did not ask her if I could do that, but I'm sure she's fine with it if anyone's got questions or wants to reach out and and ask anything or um, thank her for the episode or anything like that. I'm sure she'd love to hear from you all. And that about will do it. Do you have any final thoughts or comments, no. Anna? Thank okay. you so much. Um, I think I've told you this many times, but if sharing my story can help even just one other person, then everything that I've been through is worth it. So thank you for letting me share this um, with everyone. And yes, please reach out if you have questions. Um, I'm always happy to chat more. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, stay tuned till next time. I will talk to you all soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Success Story. We all know someone or are that someone who has been affected sexually because of illness and treatment. In the coming episodes, you will learn that there are ways to overcome and deal with these effects and still experience a life full of sexiness. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep creating your own success story.